There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Well, where in the Bible would you like to go tonight? I'm going to let you pick the text. Where would you like to go tonight? All right, let's go to Titus then. What chapter would you like to be in? Then let's go to Titus chapter 3, all right? And if just joining us, say, what kind of evangelist is this? He lets the people pick the text. We've, we've walked our way through this little book in the New Testament. We've been in chapter 1, and we learned something about getting ready for what God has to say. We learned that Crete needs Christ because everybody needs Christ. We learned something about what a healthy Christian looks like and what a healthy church looks like, this soundness and the wholeness that only Jesus can bring. And then last night I gave you a one-word sermon. Man, it took a long time to preach one word last night, didn't it? What was the word, church? All. all. And we looked at all of the alls that God gives us in chapter 2 and that the Lord's trying to dig deeply in our lives and work thoroughly. Tonight we come to the final chapter. Titus chapter number 3, I'm going to read the whole thing without making any comment, and then we're going to go back and I'm going to have you mark a couple things in your Bible. By the way, before we start, would you get your pen in hand and something to write on because I'm going to ask you to write a few things down tonight, make a list, in fact, of some things I hope that you can take with you as you leave. Look at Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Put them in mind <laughs> to be subject to principalities and powers to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent 
But come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. And would you read the 15th verse with me, church? Ready? All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. I want you to take your pen tonight. There's so many things I want to say. This is such a chapter, such a chapter. In fact, we could have preached the whole meeting from this one chapter. And some of you probably get nervous now about how long I'm going to preach tonight. But I'm not going to preach half the night, but I want you to see it. I want you to mark something in your Bible that is found twice, connected in your Bible and connected in your thinking. At the end of verse number 8, I want you to mark that they which have believed in God. How many of you have believed in God? Would you raise your hand, please? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Look at me just a minute before you even mark it in your Bible. I'm not asking do you believe there is a God. See, the devil believes and trembles. No, no. I'm asking have you personally believed in the Lord? Have you put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Is it a settled fact? Is, is there any question mark in your mind? Or has God taken the question mark and made it an exclamation point? Is there any doubt at all? The Bible says make your calling and election sure. Look, Jesus is coming. Eternity is just around the corner. This is not the time to wonder where you're going to spend eternity or worry about what would happen if Jesus came tonight. This is the time to drive a stake a mile deep in the ground about your soul's salvation. Know in whom you have believed. Be persuaded that he's able to keep that which you've committed to him against that day. So, number one, you've got to know you've believed in the Lord. But look at the verse. He says, those that have believed in God are now, would you mark this, to be careful. Dear Lord, help us learn to be careful. To be careful to maintain good works. Mark that in your Bible, to maintain. Then come across the page and look at verse number 14. He says, and let ours. I, I noticed this today. I don't know how I've missed this before. But this is a beautiful expression. Paul is not at Crete. He's not at Crete. Titus is at Crete. Paul is in another place. In fact, we don't think Paul spent a lot of time at Crete. He may have been there when the church was first formed, but we really don't think he spent a great deal of time there. So this is not a man that geographically or circumstantially would have been the kind of person to say, that's my people. For example, uh, our, our friend that got born again on the Lord's Day was from the great state of West Virginia, praise God. And I said, that's one of ours right there. That's, that's one of our people. And you understand what I'm saying. If you're from a certain region and you get around people from that region and you say, we we're, belong together. You know, we're, we're from the same people. Paul was not from Crete, and yet I love this. He said, let ours. Not yours. Not you, we. That's powerful. It's especially powerful when you realize how wicked Crete was, how carnal things were there, and that the Cretans were known as liars and evil beasts and slow bellies. And Paul says, hey, we're one because now Jesus has saved you and Jesus saved me, so we both belong to Jesus and he belongs to us, so it's ours. It's the common faith. Look at the verse. Let ours also learn, would you mark it, to maintain. There it is again to maintain good works. By the way, do you see that repetition of the phrase good works? Back up. Just back up in your Bible for, for a page. Would you go back to chapter 1 for a minute? Look at verse 16. 
He talks about those that don't know God. Now, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. Being abominable and disobedient and unto every, what's that say? Good work, reprobate. Mark that in your Bible. Look at chapter 2 and verse number 7. In all things, he says to the young men, showing thyself a pattern of what? Good works. Look at verse number 14. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of what, church? Good works. Look at chapter 3, verse number 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Uh, verse number 8. Careful to maintain good works. Verse number 14. Learn to maintain good works. Somebody says, do you believe in good works? The answer is absolutely. The question is, which side of the cross do you put it on? <laughs> See, there's a whole generation of people growing up, especially, especially in regions like the one we're in right now, who've grown up as, as flag-waving patriots that love God and love the country and they're good, moral, upstanding people and they got a work ethic and get up in the morning and provide for their family and they're doing the best they can. And you say to them, are you ready to meet God? Well, I think I am. I'm really working at it. Friend, you can't work your way to God and you can't work your way to heaven. There's none good but God. So you can't be good apart from God. So the good works do not come on the front side of the cross. They come on the back side of the cross. Amen. See, once you've had a head-on collision with Jesus, friend, I'm going to tell you, don't tell me you've met God and he left you the same. No, no. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So look, please. When you meet our good God and God moves into your life and starts working out in your life, guess what it's going to produce? It's going to produce some good works. The Lord changes everything. He meets you where you are. He loves you where you are. He accepts you where you are. But praise be to the name of Jesus. He does not leave you where you are. And so the Lord begins this transformation. But I want you to see tonight that we have an obligation. You know what some people are waiting for, Pastor? Some people are waiting for the perfect revival meeting. It's never going to come. They're waiting on some wonderful preacher to come through town, preach the greatest sermon they've ever heard, and a lightning bolt from heaven falls, and they get this tingle up their spine, and they have this euphoric emotional experience, and suddenly, boom, they're super Christian. I want you to know that day's never going to happen. No, no. God begins His work of grace in us and continues the work of grace in us, but we must cooperate with the Lord. You can't do what only God can do, and God's not going to do what He's told you to do. And so there is a word. A word I want you to see in verse number 8 and in verse number 14. It is the word maintain. <laughs> May I just let you in a little secret before I walk through the passage? I'm not preaching tonight for tonight. I'm preaching tonight for six weeks from now. Just this week, a pastor that I preached a revival meeting for just a few weeks ago, and we had a wonderful meeting, glorious meeting, and people come to the Lord and good things happening, and I'm glad. I, I enjoy being with churches and enjoy seeing what happens while I'm, while I'm there studying the Word of God and we're praying together. But I'm going to tell you what thrills me more than anything. When weeks later I hear the Lord is on the move there. You know why? Because, look, when the preacher leaves town, the Holy Ghost doesn't. 
And this preacher said to me, God is working here. People are being saved and, and there's fruit that remains. I'm just going to tell you, that thrilled my heart because we're not just having a meeting to have a meeting. If this thing dead ends tonight, I wasted my breath and you wasted your time. No, no. What will grow out of this? What will flow out of the time we've had in the book of Titus? I want you to know we need some of God's people to determine tonight that with the help of the Lord, and He will help you, you are going to maintain good works out of this meeting. We built a house a few years ago out on the old family farm. And I enjoyed it. I really did. I've heard all the horror stories. We had a, a Christian man who was a builder that helped us, and we had a good time. And my wife picked out the you know, other things and and we just had a lot of fun with it, and we built the house. Now, we've lived there about seven years. And you know what I've discovered in a hurry? It is one thing to build a house and quite another to maintain it. How many of you know it's one thing to buy a car and it's another to maintain a car? Would you raise your hand? Look, please. It's one thing to start running a race, and it's quite another thing to maintain the pace through the entire Race. Isn't that right? Do you know why? Because it's one thing to get something going and see it set in motion, but it takes an extra measure of grace and strength and wisdom and resource and energy to maintain the thing all the way to the very end. Don't you think it interesting then that when you come to the end of the letter of Titus, Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, before he signs off, before he says amen, says, oh, by the way. I would argue chapter 3 is not really a footnote. It's the exclamation point. It's not a, just an add-on. No, no. This is, this is the path of Christian discipline. Remember, we talked about becoming godly. You don't become godly just through some event or some experience. You become a godly person by every day taking the next step and following Jesus, being careful to maintain good works. Now, let me tell you what I don't mean by maintain. All right, let's get this out of the way. I'm going to tell you what I don't mean by maintain. I do not mean stale and stagnant. There is a maintenance mentality that creeps into churches that is very dangerous. They get beautiful buildings. They get comfortable seats. They get a little money in the bank. They add a few programs. Suddenly things are going well. They got enough people going to pay the budget. And now they shift it into neutral and they start maintaining. That is not the maintenance I'm talking about. In fact, I would argue that in the Christian experience, you're either moving forward or you're moving backward. You are never sitting still. Would you like to know the secret on how to maintain? I'm going to tell you how to maintain. Keep moving forward. You want to see this church survive so your grandkids have the same kind of church in this community? Would you like this church to keep being salt and light in this city till Jesus comes? I'm going to tell you how. Let this church keep moving forward for the glory of Almighty God. Matter of fact, let me just show you something. Go back a few pages to the book of Philippians just a moment. I've, I've told you Philippians is my favorite book. Look at Philippians 3. It's a famous chapter, but there's a, a little-known verse here, and there's an important principle here. He says in verse 14, we know this, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and even anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this in you. In other words, what he's saying is, look, we're still on the journey, we're still in the race, we're still, we're still being, being made to be what we ought to be, and God's going to keep showing you things along the way. But please put your eyes and heart on verse number 16. Nevertheless. Whereto we have already attained, 
Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Would you like to know what verse 16 teaches? Verse 16 teaches that if you're going to keep taking new steps of faith and obedience, you can't keep taking the old steps over and over and over again. Watch, please. You've got to hold the ground you've already taken. If you don't hold the ground you've taken and you let the devil take some of that ground back, guess what you're doing? You're going to be on this vicious cycle all of your life where you're constantly having to deal with the same old sins and same old junk and same old decisions. And may I tell you, that's why many churches never get to the next level and many Christians never go on with God because they do not learn to maintain what God has already done in their lives. Let me show it to you again. Go to Hebrews just a second. I'm I'm reading in Hebrews personally right now. I came to this this week. Look at Hebrews 6, verse 1. Honestly, if I didn't know this in the Bible, I'd think, I can't can't imagine saying that, but it's in the Bible. Look at Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. How many of you think that sounds pretty bad? You've got to get the context. Look at it. Leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us, say the next two words, church, Go on. Go on unto perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. He's not saying you leave Christ. God forbid. We never leave Christ. But look, please. He's saying if all you deal with all your life is the elementary things, the foundational things, you are not growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Some people spend their entire life laying the foundation over and over and over and over, and they never get the building built. And I want to say to you, what we need to do, we need to make sure the foundation has been laid in our life. And by the grace of God, we need to maintain and press on to perfection. Dear Lord, I don't want to be just a half-hearted Christian. I want to be everything God saved me to become. And so let's return to Titus chapter 3. The word maintain here literally means it's a military term. That's interesting, isn't it? Any military people here tonight? Would you raise your hand? Yeah. God bless you. Thank you for your service. This word maintain is not a passive word. It's actually an active word. Too much passive Christianity today. Come on, preacher. Bless me. And we come in, we plop down in our seat, cross our arms, and just come on now. If you got something good, give it to me. It's passive. I want you to know that Titus 3 Christianity is not passive, it is active. You want to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ? You must maintain. Write this down somewhere in the margin of your Bible. The word literally means to stand in rank. It's like get in line. Everybody get in line. All the soldiers line up. Stand at attention. Salute and be ready. Stand in line. It is a word that was used on the practice battlefield for getting ready to engage the enemy. They were were getting in line behind the leader. Oh, I love this. I love this. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, look, the captain of your salvation is on the move. He's he's moving forward. You're going to get in line with him? Then get in line behind Jesus and follow his leadership and maintain the good works. Look, he is going somewhere, and if you want to go with him, then you must determine you're going to maintain your place with the Lord Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, let's walk through the chapter. I said I was going to give you a list, so let's make a list. Number one, the first thing you've got to maintain, ready, is your testimony. Look, you lose your testimony, friend. It doesn't matter how many good things you do and nice, niceties you do. 
if you lose your testimony. So that's verse 1 and 2. It begins in verse 1 by how you respond to authorities. So much rebellion in our world today. People say, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Then you've missed the spirit of Jesus Christ who himself submitted to the will of the Heavenly Father. May I just remind you that religious pride is the worst kind because it dresses up for church. And it says lots of spiritual sounding things, but it's still just wicked, devilish, hellish, black-hearted pride. And Paul says to Titus, I want you to remind everybody, put them in mind of this, that they're to yield to the authority, that they're to obey if they're going to be the the Christian testimony they're supposed to be. Look at verse number 2, to speak evil of no man. Mm. Does your Bible say no man? Somebody says, I don't like that preacher. Take it up with the Holy Ghost. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. How about this one? To be no brawlers. <laughs> How many of you know what a brawl is? You know, knock down, drag out, going to knock your teeth out, and, you know, brawl, right? You know what's really sad? We, we in our thinking, we associate the brawl with the bar room. You know what's bad in our world today? The brawl has now become associated with the church house. People fussing and fighting and running their mouths all the time. Somebody said, Most churches are more like goat pens than sheep folds because everybody's butting heads all the time. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. By the way, that word is the same word that was used for pastors that said the pastor's not supposed to be a brawler. How many of you are glad you got a pastor that's not a brawler? Yeah, he's full of the love of God and and a a gentle spirit, and, and I love that. Well, hold on to your seat. What's good for the preacher is good for the people. See, people want the preacher to be a certain kind of Christian. I want you to know Jesus wants you to be a certain kind of Christian. Look at it. He says to be gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. There's the all men again from last night. Would you circle gentle and meek? You know who that is? That's Jesus. Oh, the meekness and gentleness of Christ. We're living in a hard world, aren't we? Harsh and hateful. By the way, we're coming to that in just a minute. When the love of God moves in, it changes the hatefulness. God's people ought not to be hateful. God's people ought to be so full of the love of God that the Spirit is gentle and meek. And frankly, sir, man, if yours is not, you need to ask the Holy Ghost right now to be... do such a work of transformation and grace in your heart that He makes you less like you and more like Jesus. Far too many days when I get up and look in the mirror, I see my first daddy. Maybe you've heard of him. His name's Adam. Here's the mirror you look into, by the way. And you look in that mirror and you say, Lord, help me. I see old Adam in there. You know what God wants? He wants us to be conformed to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, oh God, make me like Jesus. You want to know what revival is? Revival's not a preacher hooping and hollering. Revival's not just nice singing. No, no. Revival is when we are made more like the lovely Son of God. And he says, if you're going to be what you ought to be, be godly in an ungodly world, number one, you've got to maintain a testimony. There's a second thing. Write it down, please. You have to maintain a tenderness. A tenderness of spirit. Look, beginning in verse number 3, tells you how 
He says, we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers, lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Boy, that's a rough verse right there, isn't it? Look at that list. Look at the list in verse number three. That's what you used to be. I've marked in my Bible the word also. Isn't it funny how we can be saved a little while and sit in our beautiful church buildings and fuss at all the sinners out yonder about how bad they are? Could I just remind you where you used to be, where you could be, and where you would be but for the grace of Jesus? Also. Then I've marked another word in my Bible in verse 4. I marked the word after. Connect the also and the after. Also is what you used to be. After is what you are now. Aren't you glad? We're not living in verse 3. We're living in verse 4. After that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which is shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That sounds a lot like it's not some good work we do. It's what the good work God does in us, doesn't it? It's like Ephesians saying, For by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of what? Works, lest any man should boast. And then immediately it says, We are his workmanship. Look, the work of salvation is the good work of God in your heart. But when that good work gets done and God's work's done in you, suddenly the good work starts flowing out of you. This is so very important to me. You know why these verses are, are here? Because we are living in a hateful world. I had a friend killed a few months ago, serving in the Middle East, shot and killed, 45 years of age, wife, four children. Somebody says, yeah, that happens in some of those parts of the world. You do understand persecution's coming our way, right? Our American Christianity has lived with so much convenience and comfort. We've sacrificed so little. We've forgotten what New Testament Christianity actually cost. But it's coming. If Jesus tears, it's coming. And we're allowed to live long enough. It's coming our way. And I'm going to tell you, in a hateful, harsh world, there's only one thing that's going to keep your spirit right. And that is, if you never get far removed from what Jesus Christ did for you on the day of your salvation. You want to stay tender towards God and others? I'm going to tell you how. Very frequently go back and remember the day you got saved. How many of you remember the day you got saved? Was it a good day? <laughs> the old hymn writer said, glad day, glad day when Jesus washed my sins away. Hey, the only day going to be any better than that is the day I see Jesus face to face, and that day's only possible because of the day of my salvation. Yeah, I'd say it's a pretty good day right there. I have a friend in Canada who writes me daily. He wrote me today, prays for me many times, probably maybe watching now, but probably praying for me while I'm preaching tonight. And earlier today, in his correspondence, he signed off like he always did, walk by Calvary every day. I need that. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. I need to walk by Calvary every day because I can get pretty aggravated with people. And I can get pretty agitated by circumstances. And I can get pretty annoyed by world situations. You know what I need? I need to turn my eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and just let the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You're going to maintain? You're going to have to maintain your testimony and you're going to have to maintain your tenderness. Write down a third one. We must maintain our tasks what task has God assigned to you? What's the, what's the task the Lord has given you to do with your life? That's different for everybody in this room. 
My job's not yours. Your job's not mine, but we all have them. And I love this. Look at verse number 8. He said, They which have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Notice what it says in verse 8. These things are good and profitable unto men. When you do what God has given you to do, it's good for other people. Well, that's not all. Come across the page. Look at verse 14. And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses. He's talking about working a job and paying bills. and I'm talking about all the stuff that doesn't sound spiritual, but it's part of life. How many of you know it's part of life? Yes? And look what he says at the end of verse 14. He says that they be not unfruitful. This is fascinating to me. When you do whatever God has given you to do faithfully, it's best for others and it's best for you and it brings glory to God. Isn't that just like our God to make it so what brings him the greatest glory brings me and everybody else around me the greatest good? So maybe you don't like where you are right now. Maybe you don't like the job. Maybe you don't like the task. Maybe you don't like the assignment. But I want you to know, if that's where God has you, you must determine that that's going to be holy ground and you're going to be God's servant and you're going to maintain good works right where God has placed you. Bear fruit wherever God has planted you. Before I came into the meeting yesterday, I got a phone call. I didn't recognize the number, but I answered. And a woman on the other end of the line, I don't know her. She doesn't know me. She listened to our broadcast. I don't know how she got my phone number. And she, she, when I answered, she said, we, we listen to your broadcast every day and thank me for that. And then she started weeping. And she said, I'm having a hard time. And she explained her circumstance and situation. She's gone through a shift in life and, and she's in a, a place where she's not real comfortable and she's been given an assignment that is not the happiest assignment she's ever had in her life. And she said, I'm just trying to figure out how to get out of this, how to get out of this. And, and I'm sitting there listening to her, and it dawned on me that she spoke for all of us. We're all trying to get out of the stuff we don't like to do. Have you ever thought that maybe instead of getting out of it, we ought to be asking God why God put us in it? That maybe instead of trying to change the task God has assigned to us, we need to see God in that and wonder what is the Lord trying to do in and through my life at this point. People say the devil's in the details. Let me use a good West Virginia theological term for that. Hogwash. The devil's not in the details. The almighty, all-wise God is in the details of my life. And if I'm going to maintain, I can't just maintain when it's easy. I've got to maintain when it's hard. I, I can't just maintain on Sunday. I've got to maintain every day. I can't just maintain when I feel like it. I've got to maintain when I don't feel like it. If you're going to maintain, you must maintain your testimony and your tenderness and your tasks. I'll show you something really interesting. Go back to verse 1. Mark this word, ready. Would you just underline the word ready? Ready for good works. Ready is the idea of fitness, being fit for something. Then come to verse 8 and mark the word careful. Careful has the idea of your thought, giving, being mindful of it. Then come to verse 14 and mark the word learn. It, aren't we always learning? I'm telling you, I don't care how old you are, how many revival meetings you've attended, or how long you've been saved. We're all still learning. And frankly, sometimes we're learning the same stuff over and over and over again. Aren't you glad God's a patient teacher? And learn here has the idea of understanding. Watch this, please. God says, I want you to get yourself fit in a place where I can use you. I want you to give attention to it with your mind and I want you to be wide open for me to teach you because look please, wherever you are, God wants to use you. To maintain does not always mean that, 
that you get to go do some big thing. It may be the little thing God has given you to do at this moment. Friend, you maintain where you are and God will get you where you need to be. There's a fourth thing I want you to write down. And it is this, we must maintain the truth. Truth. Of course, truth endures to every generation. You can't change truth because God is truth. But when I say maintain truth, I mean maintain your own relationship to it. Maintain the truth in your own life. Look at verse number, verse number 9. He says, avoid foolish questions. <laughs> Every time I read this, I want to laugh. Because I'm telling you, I hear a lot of foolish questions. I mean, do you, know, you do know what sin is, right? Sin is stupid. And if your parents try and teach your kids not to say that word, please forgive me, kids, all right? But at its core, let me, tell you what, let me tell you what sin is. It's a lie. It's ignorance. It's a rejection of light. Anybody notice lately the world seems to get dumber and dumber with every passing day? Why is that? Because there's a miserable insanity to sin. He says, don't you even get caught up in that. Look, just stay out of that conversation. Look at it. By the way, let me meddle just a minute. That means on social media too. Leave it alone. Somebody said to me the other day, I saw somebody was trying to engage you on social media about a certain subject and you didn't respond. I said, I don't, I don't answer those kind of things. I, just don't, I don't get into it. I'm not interested. I don't have the time for it. I don't have the energy for it. I don't have the patience for it. I don't have the wisdom for it. I don't want to get in it. So look, here's the motto. Avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law for they are unprofitable and vain. He says, some things just aren't going to help you grow. So stay away from them. Let me tell you what will help you. Keep going. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. He said, if a man won't listen to the truth and a man won't speak the truth, get as far away from him as you possibly can because if you're going to stay right with God, you've got to stay in the truth and let the truth stay inside of you. One of the things I hope grows out of a meeting like this, I hope in this church there's a And by the way, you get a lot of mature preaching from this pulpit. I know the kind of preacher you have, and there's a lot of mature believers in this congregation, and I'm very glad about that. But I hope one of the things that grows out of this meeting is there's a group of people in this church that get hungrier and thirstier than they've ever been in their life for the Word of God. And your devotional life goes to another level because I want to tell you, that's the only way you ever maintain. And then let me give you one more. We must maintain the team. I love the fact he ends with his team. Look at it. In verse number 12, he says, I'm going to send a guy named Artemis unto thee. And this is interesting. Did you ever notice he said Ortychicus? He didn't know which yet. Now, that's fascinating to me. He is the Apostle Paul. He is writing Holy Spirit-inspired Scripture, and there are still things he doesn't know. How many of you that makes you feel better? It makes me feel better. He didn't know the when, and he didn't know the who. So could I just say, relax. You don't have to have all the answers. God's got all the answers, and when it's time, he'll tell you. He said, when I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. Bring Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them. Can I give you just a couple of practical things he did if they're going to maintain the, the team that God has given us, serving the Lord? Number one, encourage God's man. Paul needed encouragement, and Paul was trying to encourage Titus. Let me tell you something I know about every preacher right now, every true preacher. Every preacher I know right now is having a hard time. That's no pity party. 
I'm just telling you. I grew up in a pastor's home. I worked for a pastor for 20 years. I'm with hundreds of pastors every year of my life. And every pastor I know right now is having a hard time. Every one of them. You say, how is that possible? I'm going to tell you. Because the spiritual warfare is more intense than it has ever been. I'm going to tell you, the temperature has gotten turned up. All the hounds of hell have been let loose against those who are trying to do the right thing. And Satan is trying to disrupt. I I have a positive view of that. I'm going to tell you why. I think the devil knows his time is short and the wind is getting smaller, so he's trying to stir up everything while he still has opportunity. But I'm going to tell you what every preacher needs right now. Every Paul and every Titus, every minister needs somebody in that church to pray for them and encourage them and speak a good word to them and say, we're together on this preacher and we're going to maintain for the glory of God and see what the Lord will use us to accomplish at this time. And then not only do you need to encourage the preacher, look at verse number 13. You need to help others who are trying to serve the Lord. He mentions Zenos and Apollos on their journey. Help others along the way. Look, everybody's having a hard time, (laughs) not just preachers. Everybody's struggling. The stress and strain of life, the spiritual opposition, everybody is struggling. So help each other. Put an arm around somebody. Say a good word. Look, we hear enough negative in the news. We, We hear enough of the tearing down. Don't you think when God's people get together, it ought to be that we prop each other up on the leaning side and point each other toward the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the way it ought to be, friends. That's what a church is all about. Let the fellowship of believers mean something to you. You need them and they need you. Maintain the team spirit that God has given in this wonderful church. I I did notice this expression. He said that nothing be wanting unto them. Does that phrase sound familiar to any of you people that have been here the whole time? Do you remember? Do you remember back in chapter number 1, he said he left Titus to set some things in order that nothing be wanting I love this. He says to Titus, he says, look, he says, I'm trying to complete you. So while I'm trying to complete you and help you, why don't you complete and help somebody else? I love that. Did you know we can even get selfish about our Christianity? After a while, it's all about us getting our needs met. Let you in a little secret. You start meeting the needs of others, and God will make sure your needs are met. I remember as a boy. You know, people, probably, probably you never have anybody leave this church. I'm sure you never have anybody leave this church. But in our church growing up, we had people leave from time to time. And sometimes for good reason, sometimes necessary. People move, things happen, and I, I get it, I get it. But sometimes people move over nothing. And inevitably, the people that are leaving over nothing usually said something real pious like this on their way out the back door. Well, we just weren't getting fed. You ever hear somebody say something like that? I've lived long enough to discover something. The problem was not that those people weren't getting fed. The problem was they never learned to feed anybody else. They were consumers who came to church to see what they could get out of it instead of what they could put into it. And I want to tell you, if any church is going to be strong and maintain and go on for God, then the people in that church got to come not as members but as ministers, not as people to soak it up but people to serve, not as people who see what they can get out of it but people to see what they can give to the Lord. I tell you, you let a church be full of members like that and God will use that church in a mighty way. One more. Look at the end of verse number 15. He said, all that are with me salute thee. 
Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Isn't that positive? I love that verse. Let's read it out loud again. All right, look at it. Ready? Here we go. All that are with me salute thee. Greet them that love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. How many of you think that sounds pretty positive? I'm going to tell you how to maintain the team spirit. Love and pray for other members of the body. A good word still makes the heart glad. Share the joy of the Lord. Something you said to me today made me think of a verse where Paul talked about being helpers of your joy. Dear Lord, give us some more people who are helpers of joy instead of drainers of joy. There's enough drainers of joy. You know the ones. You know the ones. Don't be one. Now, the ones you see them coming, you you try to get to the other aisle as quickly as possible because they just drain the life out of you. Sure they do. You know what I want to be? I want to be a person so full of the joy of Jesus that when I get around others, I'm living in the overflow. My cup's running over, and guess what it's doing? It's filling their life up with the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I love this. See, maintaining's not just about you, friends. It's about all God's people and about all that God wants to do in your Crete, in your community, and in this world. John Stephen Aquari was the fastest man in the world from Tanzania. He ran on the Mexico City Olympics years and years ago, and he, he was out in front, way out in front, leading the pack, and he fell. And the crowd oohed and awed, and they moved on with the rest of the pack. John Stephen Aquari's leg was bloody and messed up badly, and He's limping along. He struggles to his feet. And more than an hour after the winner crossed the finish line, he finally limped into the stadium in Mexico City. Collapsed on the finish line. A reporter ran over to him. Said, Mr. Aquari, you you knew you weren't going to win. Why put yourself through all this agony? The winner came through an hour ago. I mean, what's the point? They said, old John Stephen Aquari struggled to his feet with the last ounce of strength in his body, stood as straight as he could and got right in that reporter's face and said these words, my country did not send me to Mexico City to start the race. They sent me to finish the race. I want to just tell you something. Jesus didn't save you and put you in the race so you could start. He put you in the race to finish. By the grace of God, maintain and finish the race that is set before you. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.